Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua and today's episode will get back into the Van Armani interview. This will be part three of that interview. So if you are jumping into this episode and you are not up to date on the series, you are in the wrong place. Go back to the beginning of the series, listen to part one, listen to the elaborations on part one, then part two and those elaborations, then you may get into part three. And that is where we are today. So to give you a reminder, I know it's been a few episodes since I played part two, but Vin and I were talking about the immaterial aspects of things like corporations and the way that the ancients viewed the gods and how they thought about the gods and how it was this aspect of self-sustaining systems or entities that had influence in the world but weren't necessarily materially manifested. And Vin was talking about that and how that related to concepts such as big tech and modern corporations and relating that back to the ancient view and the view of the city and Athens and those examples. And so that's where the interview left off. So that leads us to where we're about to pick up, where I give my response to those concepts and talk about some things that that reminded me of with the mystical and the material and the ages of man and these types of things. And so I will just go ahead and play that. So this is my response to that last part where Vin left off. Yeah, yeah, I I like it. (laughs) Um, Let me run a theory by you that I've been working on. After this, I'd like to get into the more religious side of things and the kingdom of God and the biblical Mm -hmm. perspective. But but first, uh, there's there's a few things that really click with me as you were describing uh, those aspects, and that would be, I've got this format that I've been laying out for uh, social cycles, and uh, basically I've narrowed it down to ages of man, and I won't get into the details, but a very simplified version would be that man had this age of survival, was one of the first ages, then an age of religion, then an age of empire, then an age of economics, which is where we are now or coming out of now, and then an age of science is, in my view, what we're headed into. And this does fit very well if you impose the mystical to material with a halfway in between for each stage. So Mm -hmm. the age of survival, when man was in its early stages, was, would be a very mystical age. And then mm-hmm. the age of religion, they started to get more organized, more material, but still had that mystical aspect. You had that mixed uh, place right there. And then getting into the age of empires, all the great empires of old, uh, think of Rome as being very broadly, of course, they went through their own cycles in between all these ages, but very broadly, that would be a more material, very sensate mm-hmm. culture. And then the age of economics, you start having, and this is an example that I've come up with that you just mentioned, which is perfect. You, you laid that out very well. The fact that corporations and the way our economic system works, this is a mystical thing. These corporations yes. have these aspects that are, they're not simply material. And so we're living in this age where you have both. You're, we're in this mixed age. The age of economics would be a mix between material and mystical. You still have even the 60s and 70s, getting into the 80s, the drug culture of the 80s and 90s. All of these are very sensate and material things. It's all about sex and drugs and uh, violence and these types of things. And so you have this material aspect, but we're getting into that mix of the mystical as well, coming into the digital age, things like corporations, um, these types of things, these new religions like the Church of Woke. And now we're coming into this age of science, which would be run by, I would say, a more technocratic system in a much more mystical age. Does that seem to line up the way that that you are thinking as well? This is, uh, so that's pretty much in terms of laying the mystical and material over the top. That is exactly right. And you pretty much described the human social cycle in the way that PR Sarkar did. Okay. So, yes. So, uh, because he's basically describing... um, attitudes and energies for the most part so he says that it starts uh, we start in the commoner the shudra age and that it's basically an age of as you say survival it's about fear of the environment is the the hallmark 
of you know just eking by to survive and at the mercy of the elements so sort of fear is and sur- basic survival is the the goal of people in that age that is their main concern uh, he then says it's interesting that you put uh, religion and then empire i think those are appropriate for the mixing of how the uh, warrior age and the thinker age they're very mixed together and hard to pull apart can I clarify um, that, actually? Yes, go ahead. That is something that I really struggled with because I did look at, um, thanks to you, actually, a few months ago, I looked into Sakar and overlaid mm-hmm. exactly the way you're doing, overlaid the commoner and the warrior and the priest, and I ran into that conflict, and I thought, wait a minute, am I wrong here? Am I missing something? But I, I really... I think it's fine. I think it's fine the way that you approach yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, because as you go into the age of religion from the age of survival, yes, you still had this mix of the mystical, and you had the priests were the ones that ran the cities and the organized societies. That is true, but they became organized cities and the beginnings of states and empires through violence. It was all about yes. the warrior class. That's how they achieved what they were. Yes. And then getting into the age of empire, they used religion and the priest class, the thinkers, think of the Greeks and the Romans. This is where we get philosophy from the way we think of it today. So yeah, I I think that does deserve some clarification because if you think religion, then empire, but you're saying warrior, then the priest, yeah, it it sounds like it's wrong, but, but that actually fits really well. Well, you know who else struggled with this? This is an eternal struggle. Hesiod struggled with this. So when we talk about Golden Age, Silver Age, uh, Bronze Age, Iron Age, right? So the the Hesiod, the ancient Greek, uh, that was that's then carried through even into early Christianity. This idea of of these four ages, he adds the Age of Heroes right attached to the Bronze Age. So he's also struggling with where do these warriors fit in, right? He's yeah. he adds he has to add an addendum age that is not an age that is uh, that is associated with metal. So. This is an eternal struggle to figure this out. Um, but and, and I think the reason why is that it is what you have simultaneously, and, and Homer is dealing with this too, that you have gods and heroes arrive on the scene at the same time. So the, the, the movement from a chief who does something spectacular, some hero who does something spectacular, that brings the people out of their fear and moves them forward, we always see the combination of religion and the gods, the veneration of the heroes into gods. We see that everything from Greek mythology, which makes it easy, right? That it's like Hercules, he's dealing with the gods, all of that. You've got those heroes. Prometheus, is he a hero? Is he a god? He's a demigod, they might say, right? But this is still religious. It's a religious thing all the way to the founding fathers being on Mount Rushmore and being on our money and their busts and the depiction, right? Um, These separations, we have a very difficult time because we turn our heroes into gods. And so I think that that's, I think calling it religion in that regard is, is totally right. And then the height of Vipraism, the height of thinkerism is empire because the management of empire is the priest class. It's the thinker class, right? To actually be able to to create a material structure. Um, and those two periods are the material periods, right? So the, the, the period of the heroes and gods of religion is moving from out of the mystical into the material. And then the point of empire is the high material, and then as we move into the merchant, we're moving out of the material into the, the mystical. And I think that the probably, you know, the, the, the movement into science, as you see, is going to be in line with the, uh, with the, the, the commoner, which is kind of what you see in the foundation series, right? Is that yeah. the, those two are going to, they, they combine with each other in the same way that the, that that religious hero combines and it's perfect because it's it it offsets each other. And so I think that you've got it right. Again, it's there we can quibble about where does it turn orange and where does it turn red, right? But you but clearly as we start to think about these things and we start to look at these cycles, they're close enough 
that it gives us some predictive value and we can say, okay, I'm on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. And that's helpful if, if at least we know the trend, if at least we know yes. we're roughly maybe in this transition period or whether it's just before or just after, right in the middle, it, it, it really doesn't matter all that much. And mm-hmm. you know, we probably can't even look back you know, decades from now and really figure out a specific time. But, no. but yeah, we, we do have a broad idea. And you mentioned like, what's the goal of the Church of Woke? You, you mentioned like these self-sustaining systems and we're calling them gods and looking at them from a mystical perspective, as well as a more material perspective of, say, a corporation or a political movement or whatever. And to me, I, w- I would think, and I, I, I will state it, but it is a question, um, would the goal here the goal I would think would be to continue to sustain itself. It's a self-sustaining system. So my thought would be that the goal would be that the system itself controls itself pretty much that, that we have the social body basically self-policing itself and all believing the same religion and going about their same thing. It's it's not that the state has to impose things upon them. It's that they're living in this mystical world where they have these, these laws, these religious texts. We have these religious experiences and definitions that are more magical and mystical and digital. And the goal of this religion, this ideology, this social body, this technocracy, whatever you want to call it, whatever aspect you want to look at, I would think the goal would be to sustain itself. And that would always be the goal of a system, of a corporation, for example. That's Mm -hmm. the goal, is that it continues and it grows and it grows in power and material wealth as well as mystical influence. And so that that's what I see at least. And then eventually way down the road, and I don't even know if it's worth even looking at it, but the point would be that as these cycles progress, it would be that it reaches its height to the best that it can. You can only progress so far in power and influence and control before you have a new generation, a new cycle, a new archetype that then rises up against their, against it and you have this you know, new cycle that comes about. But I would think, and that's what I'm asking you, would that sound accurate for the goal of, let's say, the Church of Woke? Yeah, well, I think that when we start talking about these I'm going to use the term powers and principalities, right? So when we start talking about these mystical powers, um, for us to ascribe human motives onto them is, in terms of like motives, is inappropriate. Uh, in in the same way that we would that us ascribing human motives onto a shark is inappropriate, right? Um, so whether the form is above us or below us. We it's it's not going to work because our motives are colored in no small part based upon our genetic history and based upon the fact that we are in a material body that is laid out in a certain way, right? So we're already talking about things that don't have that material body, so there's no way that they could have the same motives that we do. But clearly, as you say, the the fact that it is a self-organizing system and the fact that it is still in existence means that its job is to keep itself in existence, right? Like that's just what it does. It's a self-organizing system. So that part that I think you're, you're absolutely right on about that. What we can start to see as we can with the shark is we can start to see when we see these self-organizing systems, what is it? How is it that they begin to organize human beings as a body of creatures. I guess that's the best thing that if you imagine that we are their branches and we are their rhizomes, we are the branches and rhizomes of the tree. Um, and, you know, that, and, and maybe we're the very ends as human beings. And then as we come together to become bigger, we form our own. So you could have a corporation and that corporation has a division and then you may have your own team Right. So, and there's many different ways of organizing that, but each of those has their own sort of conscience to them. Right. So, you might say, oh, yeah, we've got the best uh, front end development team that's out there. And you're talking about the team as they work together, as opposed to any given individual. Right. We do this. We know this. Right. We say, oh, you know, the, the Patriots are a great team. Okay. Well, they're part of the bigger thing that is the NFL. And we're not talking about any given 
individual, we might say, you know, that one or more players is great, but we're talking about the team. And so that's a self-organizing system, right? The New England Patriots is a self-organizing system and within a larger self-organizing system of the NFL. And so, you know, and this was, was a, a big piece of uh, my last book, um, Self-Ownership. As far as I can tell, there, there, there are two patterns that seem to be playing out and that seem to be in opposition to one another. And I do, do think that this goes to the, the kingdom of God idea, and I do think that this is also very much what the life of Jesus Christ is about, and uh, that he is representing one side, and he is acknowledging that there is another side. And as far as I can tell, and as much as I understand, the tension is between what we would call uh, collectivism and individualism. And that the Church of Woke, as a self-organizing system, has a goal of removing agency from any given individual, and that the that a properly functioning individual within the Church of Woke and I think this is where the NPC, why the NPC meme came about, is that people recognize that, yeah, what it looks like to be a properly functioning individual within the Church of Woke is that here is the program, you take on the program, you don't think about it, you just do it. You just do it. And that's the proper way to be. And that is one means by which human beings have organized themselves. And certain cultures have that more dominant, right? And then this, the, the other side of that um, is, is the individual. And it is the individual uh, by themselves would be the extreme. And I think that in this way, the, the God in that case is, is another self-organizing system that I think is probably what we would call like Luciferian or myth. Mephistophelian, Mephistophelian, right? Yeah. Meph- Mephistopheles, and the uh, and, and you know it's this Crowleyan idea of like do as thou wilt, and that's the whole of the law. And this is a sort of a psychopathic approach to where no other individuals matter, and I am the sovereign of the universe. And I think that this is what m- many wokeists, when they want to accuse. Or, or characterize, let's say, libertarians, will characterize them in that way, right? Selfish. And isn't this the whole thing about the mask narrative, right? You're just selfish. You only care about yourself. All of that. Uh, as far as I can tell, that's probably the, the worst uh, place for an individual to be. And that is to say, I am the sovereign. I only answer to myself. This is probably the, mo- the the worst one to be, um, the the least productive. And then there is a third answer, and I think that this is the kingdom of God answer. I think that this is also, uh, although it was corrupted, this is the basic idea that uh, Cudub was going after as well when he founded the or or was the ideological, what would you say, foundation of the Muslim Muslim Brotherhood. And now we have the spinoffs, and you see that there's a lot of corruption in that, and and it was taken over by people who are psychopaths, for as many systems are. But I think that the Christian ideal, the ideal of Christ from the Gospels, and and certainly of of uh, the apostles in Acts, and certainly uh, Paul in his letters, is is recognizing the the sovereignty of something much higher. So the sovereignty of the Most High, the sovereignty of the highest principle, and that within that highest principle is the mix of the Logos, as John the Word, right, translated in English, and the Word made flesh, that in John's Gospel he says that Christ is the manifestation of Logos, of reason. So there is an individual consciousness, but as individual consciousness melding with a higher consciousness and so you don't lose your individuality. The idea is that you do have a choice. You always have a choice, but that you choose to go in the direction of what is the greater good 
as guided by a higher sovereign self-organizing system referred to as the most high or the most high God. And I think that that, when we see that, is that is when we look even in uh, depictions of heroes throughout history, whether it be back to Greek mythology or whether it be to, you know, the, the, the latest Marvel movie, that what we see is heroes are those who sacrifice for the greater good, not because they are part of a program, but because they are, especially in the case of, say, the Marvel superheroes, they are potent and powerful beings who can make a choice, but who make a choice regardless based upon a higher principle. And so I think that really what we have is the, the battle that is taking place is the Church of Woke is about to wipe out Mephistopheles who had stepped in and taken over, right? The, the, church, the church of self. Uh, the church of woke is wiping that out right now. Wiping it out. And yet, the, you know, what will stand, the, the thing that will stand against it, if anything, will be the, the logos. And so, will it be Christianity? It certainly won't be pop Christianity as we understand it. I think there are still probably some remaining veins of Christian mysticism that can be tapped again, as they have been many, many times. Um, so it will probably be that pattern, although I think that it will probably look very different than we've ever seen it look in the past. Hmm. Yeah, I like that, that, I don't know, conflict, I guess, that's going on in Christianity. And I'm going to say Christianity, I guess we should kind of define terms here and just say that sure. what people think of as cultural Christianity or pop Christianity today is probably not what you and I are referring to. No. We, we would be referring to what, let's say you read the book of Matthew in the New Testament and what Jesus preaches, that would be Christianity, the way the yes. first Christians actually acted. And like you said, it's very different. And no, the cultural church is not going to stand up against any of this and have they'll have zero power. And uh, but, but yes, I do see a solution here. And I like that mix. It's this duality of how Jesus teaches how it's all about individual personal responsibility. It's mm -hmm. you give to the poor, you serve others. It's not you pay your taxes to Rome so that Rome can start a welfare program and take care of the poor. No, mm -hmm. it's that you do it individually and you are responsible for your own actions. And it's not even just your actions. It comes down to your motives. It comes down to your thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's It's very mystical. It's not just material, but it includes both. It's that... It's, it's the material, like you mentioned, like Jesus is embodied as a human being. That's the material. But the idea of the logos, which, you know, in the Greek, that, that was the divinity that would have had to have intelligently designed the universe. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's that idea of the great God. And that, that is a very mystical thing. And it's, it's this duality where even Jesus as an individual, very potent individual, is combined with the trinity of a God that is communal. And we have the church full of individual Christians making their individual actions and working on their own lives. And it's very individualistic. You need to read for yourself. You need to study for yourself. You need to act for yourself. You are responsible for you and your sin, and that is it. But at the same time, you are sacrificing for everybody else. You're part mm -hmm. of this idea of the church, which is like a corporation. It's a mystical body that never ends. It can't be defeated. And it just extends and it's full of all these people and you're doing things for the greater good of this communal body. And yet you had this duality all through there of the individual and the collectivist mindset. And I agree how... If you take either one of those to the extreme and see how they they play out in today's world, the ultimate individualistic person or ideology it can be very evil is the way we would look at it. But mm -hmm. also the very collectivist ideology, think Brave New World maybe, is also very evil and mm -hmm. does horrible things. And so you have to have an aspect of both. But I guess even more than that, you have to have an actual morality and ideology, a basis, a religion that recognizes both the material and the mystical, that, that recognizes both the individual and the collective. 
and I, I'm not really seeing that with the Church of Woke, which is why I uh, I would personally view that as a, a very negative movement and body. But like you say, I don't know if there's a way to combat that. I guess that's where I, I start meshing in the idea of agorism. And mm-hmm. I see Jesus and the disciples as agorists. They are they're creating their own community, their own systems within the system of Rome. They're living under the authority of Rome, and they're even talking about how they should submit to Rome. If Rome comes to them and demands money, you give them their taxes. It's not that they're rebelling. They're not fighting. Mm-hmm. They're simply creating their own system, which makes Rome irrelevant. If mm-hmm. if you don't go to court and take somebody to a court of law and sue them, but instead you handle that within the church, then what role does the court system play? It doesn't, at least within your community. And so I guess I see that as being, in a way, a solution in that we can have these agorist cadres, so to say. You can have this system-within-a-system approach that is individualistic, but also for that community of agorists, backed by that ideology with some morality behind it. Um, I... I am not sure if, and maybe, yeah, I, I guess I can pose this as a question. Is there any time in history where something like that actually did work without being corrupted? Because Christianity did take over the world, and it did so very quickly and very effectively, but also became extremely corrupt as it did. And so it, do you necessarily have to lose your purity as an ideology or morality or religion in order to gain that foothold from a societal historical perspective? Or can you think of any historical examples where that actually played out well in the long run? Well, okay. All human systems corrupt. So that's just, it's a material thing. All things in the material world corrupt. They take constant maintenance. It doesn't matter from the biggest to the smallest. So this does not matter whether or not we're talking about a, uh, a physical building, a house, a car, leave it out in the elements, don't tend to it, come back in 50 years and see how it's doing. And the same goes for uh, human organizational systems, whether that's a state, whether that's a, ch- a church, an organized church. And this is the reason why many say, I have a problem with organized religion. You hear that often. And the reason why is because there, uh, there has been a history where, as you say, individuals and groups have seen the power of these systems and have been able to step in and take over. And this is not in just the case of Christianity. This has happened throughout any organizational system. It doesn't matter what it is. Over time, the psychopaths gain control. What hasn't corrupted or, or what... As I understand it, what the the real role and the people that I have spoken to, uh, whether this is priests, whether this is lay people, where I look at them and I say, ah, you are a manifestation of that original vein, shall we say, right? This, This vein of faith. It's very easy to tell these people when you encounter them, because one of the things that you'll notice about when you'll notice when you speak to them is one, they will very openly tell you, even if they're priests, by the way. They will very openly uh, talk about the the problems and corruption within their own church. That's the first thing. And the second thing uh, is you can tell that when they speak with you, they are speaking from their experience, their own mystical experience, uh, gained through through prayer and fasting, if they're Christians, for sure, and and most Judeo-Christian religions. It's going to be through prayer and fasting and their own relationship with the divine. And so that is, you know, when we go back to, I think it's important to to view what Jesus and the disciples and the early Christians are doing regarding the state and how that relates to agorism. Because agorism is a, an ideology that comes from out of a very material context. So Konkin is describing a pattern in a completely material way. He's coming from out of the Austrian School of Economics. You know, he's, he's highly influenced by Mises. He's uh, known by Rothbard at the very least. 
And this is a very materialist uh, milieu that he's operating in. So we're trying to map a pattern on top. And But when we're mapping the pattern of Jesus and the disciples, it isn't necessarily that they are saying to obey Rome. And that's not necessarily what, for instance, the render unto Caesar story is about. What it is, is it's a question of authority, and it goes back to these powers and principalities again. And it is to say that they are recognizing an authority of the Most High, God the Father. This is the authority that they are recognizing. And then, and God the Father has some things that he cares about, and he has some things he doesn't care about, right? There is the the sacred and the profane. This is the true of any religion. So there are some things that we care about. There are some things that we don't care about. And so they come to Jesus and they say, should we pay taxes? And he says, okay, show me a coin. Whose face is on it? Whose name is written on there? They say, Caesar's. And he says, okay, well, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and render unto God that which is God's. Because God, their God doesn't care about a coin, <laughs> right? Their God doesn't care. That's not, that's not something that is... And this is also why uh, the other story of him that's related to coins is Jesus goes and he overthrows the money changers' tables in the temple. This is just as important of a story in that regard, in an economic context. Because you have to understand the context of the temple money and what would happen. The, basically, the, the priests had figured out this system whereby you would, ha- you would do sacrifices. That was what was normal on the holy days. You would go and they, you would do sacrifices as, within the temple to God, offerings to God. And this was basically what the priests would end up eating as well. But the the animals that you would do that would have to be blessed animals. And they would sell them inside the grounds of the temple. And you could only buy those animals with temple money, a special money, the shekel, that was minted by the priests and kept by the priests. Kind of like an arcade token, you might say, right? So private money of the priests. And so you would come in, and there was an exchange table, the money changer's table, where you would exchange the Roman money for the priestly money that you would then buy these animals with that were blessed. And so as you could see, over time, that became corrupted. There were high markups. They were making an incredible profit off of selling these overpriced animals because they had to be blessed, et cetera, et cetera. In that context, you understand why he overturns the money changer's table and starts whipping them. Because, no, 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 God, this is not what God cares about. This is not at all. And as a matter of fact, this is blasphemy. God doesn't care about this money and you changing this out. God doesn't, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. And this is really, I think, where we can bring the whole agorist idea forward in, a, in the mystical realm, is that we have to say, what authority do we recognize? It isn't just a matter of we're going to bleed the state. That's not why you're doing it. That's not, the, and this is something that I have been trying to uh, speak to people about for a long time, is that really it, the, the spiritual aspect is to say, I do not recognize an authority uh, of another human being that says, I need to get his permission or pay him or something like that to uh, cut somebody's grass or to exchange with you a tomato for, you know, some Bitcoin. Where, how do you have, uh, I don't recognize your authority. These things come from God. Math comes from God. The plants, the bounty of the earth comes from God. My labor comes from, I'm given these two hands by God. What do you have a right to say? I don't recognize your authority. And it's not that it's a reaction. It's not at all a reaction. It Just like it's not a reaction if you're walking along on the street and some random person comes up and says, hey man, you need to give me some money because I exist. Because I exist and I here's a piece of paper that I wrote on this piece of paper that you owe me money. And you'll look at them and like, I don't recognize that piece of paper. Where does, I don't, I do not obey that authority, that we are not obeying the same authority. 
And this is really the best way to understand what is really going on and the reason why Jesus is so dangerous and the reason why the state looks at him and they're like, uh, you know, so Pilate depends on the gospel you're reading, but first Pilate looks at him and says, I didn't break any Roman laws. And then they send him to Herod and Herod's like, as far as I can tell, he didn't break any laws of my kingdom. And then they're like, kill him anyway. Kill him anyway. It's like, but, and and Jesus is just like, you know what? I answer to a higher authority. I answer to my father. That's the authority that I'm answering to. You know what? But on certain things, you say pay, you say pay taxes, that's your coin. All right, that's fine. No big deal. My father didn't give me any instructions on that one. I can do that. And I think that that's the way that we have to that we have to approach it. And it's just to say, to what authority do we answer? And that will give us a stronger moral and spiritual background for our practice of agorism. And it starts to then match up with the patterns of history. And I will tell you those patterns of simply saying, I do not recognize your authority have been what has changed the world. I mean, you look at it, that's Gandhi going to the, on his salt march to make salt. When the, when the British had, had said, uh, you know, this is illegal. There's a tax on the salt. And Gandhi said, I don't, we've been making salt at the ocean since way before you got here. So you do not have the authority to do that. We're just going to go make the salt. It's not a matter of we're going to react to you. We're just going to keep doing what we've been doing. We're not going to stop. And so it's, it's really, it's a matter of authority. And, and in that regard, Gandhi was reaching toward the most high. He was reaching toward the most high in the same way that Jesus was reaching toward the most high. And you'll see that pattern over and over and over again. And that pattern is the only thing that has ever changed the world. Makes sense. That's more of a politics of obedience type of approach, which mm-hmm. I'm a very big fan of. And it, you, the way you're describing that, I, I see this difference, this highlight between where there are times that Jesus says to submit to Rome. There are areas mm-hmm. where he says, yes, be a law-abiding citizen. Um, mm-hmm. But that is very different than what you never hear come out of his mouth, and that would be to support Rome or to Correct. help or aid Rome. It's not support, it's submit. And it's within the context of, as you say, there are some things that God cares about and some things that he doesn't. It's There's this very strong thread of free will, where if someone mm-hmm. is going to live a sinful life, do evil things, that is on them. And so long as your actions are not participating in that, then you have no role to play in that. And Mm -hmm. there are things that are just separate. There is the sacred and the profane, and there there is this duality that always exists in all of these different realms. But it's also a big issue of motive. So not only do you submit, but you don't support, it's you are submitting not because you are respecting the authority of Rome, but because you are respecting the authority of God. And God yes. told you that in these circumstances, you submit to Rome because overall, I'm in charge of Rome and I'm the real authority. And yes. so, yeah, I, I see that. That's, that's a, very, a very strong thread is that issue of authority and who the true authority is. And that is why there are times that you submit. And I, I see that also in like the writings of Paul. He talks a lot about, uh, in multiple times, he says that it's a matter of conscience and he lays out an argument of practicality. And he does this with the issue of vegetarians versus eating meat. And he does it with the state as well, Romans 13, that comes up. And it's, it's this thing where you have on one side the, I guess you could say, the maybe the mystical perspective of um, the morality bet- behind something, the matter of conscience, um, the directives of God from that perspective. Then you have the practical perspective. You have the material where if you were to actually rebel against Rome, even though technically they don't have authority, you answer to God and God says this, that, and the other. And as long as you follow it, you're fine. Who cares what Rome says? But if you actually practically took that approach and you did not submit to Rome in any way and you shoved it in their face, or if you actively rebelled, the church would get squashed in a heartbeat. 
That's right. The church cannot stand against the Roman Empire. So the only way that this insurrection is successful, I like your example of Gandhi, it's the same way, it's very successful, but the only way is to play that balance in some way where you do submit and respect the authority to an extent while recognizing that the authority comes from a higher place. And that's really the the only way to be successful. And then if Rome comes after you and arrests you and puts you in jail, you end up with a Ross Ulbricht situation where mm-hmm. everyone can recognize that that is injustice. It is mm-hmm. very plain. It is very clear. That is immoral. This this person, whether it be Paul or uh, I hate to you know compare Paul and Ross Ulbricht, but you get the point here. I think it's apropos. I think it's apropos. Yeah, in this context, it works. And so it, it's this idea that someone who did not disobey the laws of God, they did not do mm-hmm. anything immoral from really any religious perspective they are still being persecuted and prosecuted and locked up, maybe executed because of something that is totally immoral and unjust. And that actually makes such a bigger statement, that aspect of being a martyr, that is what makes waves in society. That is what would go viral on social media. That is what has an impact, especially on the mystical realm, on the realm of uh, a mental perspective and not looking at just the material. Of course, the material will, yes, this law in code 143 section A says X, Y, Z, and and he did not mm-hmm. follow that. And therefore, from a material perspective, yes, he's guilty. But from we're living in this mystical age and from a mystical perspective, however you want to phrase that, that this is totally unjust, immoral, and that is what brings the system down, I would say. Mm-hmm. So... That is hopeful. I like that. <laughs> well, I mean, I see, we see this pattern over and over and over again. I mean, I was... Uh, I don't know why it came up, but it's probably appropriate. But just even in the last couple of days, you know, I went back and, and I was talking to one of the guys who's here and it came, what came to my mind was the, uh, the IRA and, you know, what were the turning points in Ireland and, and in terms of them getting independence and you know, breaking away and having their own Irish Republic. And, you know, a lot of people think that it was this, that it was the violence of the IRA and fighting that. And, oh yeah. And, you know, I I think it was because we were talking about uh, ARs and this guy's really into, you know, I should have a gun and went and, you know, built this AR and all of that. And, you know, the IRA, they used Armalites. And so, but, you know, what really changed the tide was the, the hunger strikes in 1979 through 1981, where, I think I think there were over over 120 political prisoners who went on hunger strike and 10 of them hunger striked until they starved to death. They died. Hmm. And that turned the tide. As a matter of fact, while one was hunger striking, he was elected to parliament. Wow. <laughs> yes. That's how like and that just tells you something, right? That it's like that that the the battle, the real battle, was fought in their hearts, in the hearts of these men as they exerted their will, and religious men, right? Because this is a this was a religious struggle, and so that's where it really was, and and this is this is I think something to to realize and understand about the the recognition of authority and how powerful it is, and what the ancients understood about the powers and the principalities and how the powers fight each other. And so the way to fight the Church of Woke is you have to show them the power of the Most High. That's it. That's the only way. It has to be exhibited. And that's true in the case of Christ. That was true in the case of Gandhi. That was true in the case of Martin Luther King. We can go down the line that's true in the case of Malcolm X, true in the case of these hunger strikers, of the IRA hunger strikers, true in the case of all of the martyrs ever, is that that's what they are displaying. And it tells you that the battle is in the mystical plane. The battle in the mystical age is in the mystical plane, and the weapons are mystical weapons. And the ancients knew this, and they understood this. 
And so then that's, that is to say that the, the belligerents are mystical belligerents. They are self-organizing system. This is how the gods go to war with each other. And the mystics, the ancient mystics described it this way. This is what you see in the Bible. This is what is being described. It is the exact same pattern. They, they are not different people. It is not different patterns. It is not different rules. It is just they were in a different age and they described it in a different way. That's all. So I'll wrap up this section of the interview here. I think that definitely gives you plenty to think about, like always. And I'm sure you can imagine that there are many things to elaborate on based on all of those ideas and concepts and things that Vin was talking about. So to give you a bit of a preview in the next episode, my plan is to talk a little bit about Sarkar's theories. I kind of cut Vin off on accident and he kind of got sidetracked and never got back to uh, elaborating a little more on Sarkar. I've heard him talk about that idea multiple times and so I at least know roughly what else he would have said in addition to what he already did say at the beginning of this section. Then we'll also get into a little more elaborations about the Church of Woke, of course, and some of those examples that Vin brought out. He got into talking about the church and talking about how there are some fundamental differences between the Church of Woke and the idea of original Christianity or the kingdom of God. I know I have talked about that plenty in the previous elaboration episodes, but there actually is even more. So I'll talk about that and elaborate a little bit more on the concept of the Logos that Vin brought up as well. And so that is probably what I'll cover in the next episode, maybe a little more And then I believe there'll only be two elaborations on this part, and then we'll get back into the final part of the interview, part four, and whatever elaborations come from that. So as you could tell with this section, and I would say possibly even more in the next section, well, definitely even more in the next section, Vin is getting more into talking about some spiritual type things and prayer and Christianity and all of these things, but I'm sure you can probably tell it's probably not the same way that you have heard these things talked about before and probably not coming from somebody that fits the same mold of who you would expect to hear these types of things from. And so hopefully that is something that is beneficial and that uh, gives some more enlightenment into these areas, some different perspectives. And that is our whole goal here. Whether you agree with the event or not, whether you agree with me or not, you are at least getting some very solid ideas and concepts and things to think about and things to be exposed to, which is good. It's good to think. I would like to say thank you to those of you who are supporting the podcast, especially the patrons. And I will call you patrons whether you are on the Patreon platform or whether you are on the new Subscribestar platform, or if anybody decides to give cryptocurrency, no matter what, you are patronizing the show, and I greatly appreciate it. There is one new person on Patreon since the last episode, and they go by the name of The Spiral. So thank you very much, The Spiral. I greatly appreciate that. I am, like I said last time, I'm really digging into a lot of research and a lot of books, getting audiobooks, and I pay for that Audible subscription that I listen to through, pay for that through your donations and your support. So thank you for that. I've also ordered multiple new books that I have been able to pay for through the support of you, the listeners, and I am also able to pay for the hosting fees associated with with this podcast. And so hopefully, eventually, I'll be able to also pay for having my own website, my own domain name, where I can do a little more with that. I'm a little limited on the Podbean platform. And there's a few other things I'd like to do. Also, I've got someone developing a fresh logo for the podcast that is not completed yet. I have basically the rough logo and that part is finished. So we know what it's going to be and it looks really good, but I haven't gotten those finalized versions yet. So I know there are a few people that had signed up at the $8 a month level, which means you get a t-shirt, a mug, a hat, whatever you want with the logo on it. And I am not doing that yet until I get the new logo. So if you really just like the current logo, the old one, then I'll 
do it that way. If that's what you want, just let me know. But my plan is to wait for the new one to come out and then send out stuff with that one on it. I would also like to give just a brief kind of random update. I'd done that episode before this Vin Armani series on freedom cells and an agorist meetup group that I had started locally and how that was really cool. And I really liked the idea of that and had a lot of response to that. There were eight or nine of us that met up that first time. And I'd done an episode on that. So if you haven't heard that, you can go back and listen. But uh, for an update, we have been meeting now for a few months and the group has gone from the original... I think it was eight people somewhere around there to now we've got 25 to 30 ish that are planning on coming to the next one that we'll be having in a few days. And so that's really cool. We've done multiple group projects where we've gotten together. We built some sheep stalls, uh, last group project, as well as finished uh, some infrastructure type stuff, weed barrier type things in a forest garden. We had a group project before that where... We put up some fencing, and there are more to come. I've actually got a giant pile of logs in my driveway right now and a whole bunch of mushroom mycelium, and I need to inoculate those logs, and there's a lot of them. I'm doing probably 200 logs or so total. So I am going to pitch that to the group as well, and anybody that wants to do that and learn as well as take some home with them uh, will probably participate with that as well. But the group is going really well. We've got a really strong Discord channel where people are interacting a lot. We've got different channels to talk about media or gardening or homesteading or 3D printing, all different kinds of topics and subjects. We've been able to help each other out in multiple ways. And we are starting to talk about where to take this next, splitting up into smaller, even more localized groups and getting some more future-oriented goals established where you figure out what people want to do, what area they want to specialize in, maybe what they can produce that they'll be able to trade or barter with the group or supply for the group, and how can we help people get to those goals as a group? How, how can we join together and help each other get to where we want to be? And so it, it's going really well. I just wanted to give that random update because I am having that next meetup here in a few days and the group is growing strong doing really well and I would definitely encourage any and all of you to be a part of a group like that or to start a group like that if you don't have one so I guess that is all for this episode please come back next time for the first elaboration on this part of the interview thank you for any ratings and reviews that were left I did see one or two on the podcast website itself which is nice i don't really have very many there and i don't really have very many in total i think there was one more that came in over the past two weeks and so thank you very much for doing that again there aren't very many reviews or ratings for this show especially compared to others like this and so it is very helpful definitely when you take a little bit of extra time and do that so thank you very much thank you just for listening and engaging with all of these ideas i'm out peace This has been another episode of Our Foundation's podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.